Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Who is Jesus? Uh, uh, um, uh, I think, uh, uh, I believe he was a person. Um, He's the Son of God. I don't believe Jesus ever really existed. He's the Son of God. If I have to answer that question, I would say God. Uh, he plays on the wing for Chelsea. If you read the Bible, I don't think I believe in all of that. Everything. <laughs> he can be any, but for me, he's everything. Who is Jesus? To be honest with you, I don't know. I'm not super religious or anything, so. I mean, he, I guess he's a savior or something. <laughs> Personally, I think that Jesus was probably a really cool dude who lived a long time ago and gave great advice to people, and it snowballed from there. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here at Lighthouse. Thanks for being here today. So that question, who is Jesus? Uh, when I grew up, it wasn't a very confusing question. I think in, in the small town that I lived in, in the day and age that I lived in, most people at least had a rudimentary understanding of who Jesus was, that he was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that he was born you know, in a manger, you know, those kinds of things. But uh, our culture has changed. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of people growing up today that, where that's confusing. That video showed that as well. According to a recent survey of 3,000 Americans, 52% said that Jesus was only a good teacher and that he was not God. 52% of those surveyed. And then of those that were surveyed, a third of them, uh, of the evangelical Christians in the survey, also said that Jesus was not God. Which I'm not sure how you can be an evangelical Christian if you don't believe that Jesus was God. But there's a lot of confusion on who Jesus is. So let me just state some of the things that we all can probably agree on. He is God. He's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was a man that was born in Israel 2,000 years ago, born in a manger, right, uh, to Mary and Joseph, grew up to become a carpenter, later a teacher and a leader. And we all know and celebrate at Easter that he uh, was persecuted and died on a cross uh, for each one of us. So we know, many of us know this about Jesus, but who was he really? What was it like to be with Jesus? What were his characteristics? Because if we were a follower of Jesus, like if we call ourselves a Christian, then that means that we need to follow Jesus. Because Paul said it this way, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. But sometimes it can be a little confusing as to what that example might look like. But what characteristics did Jesus exemplify here on earth. Well, I'm, I'm excited because here in the month of December, we're going to be just studying the characteristics of Christ. Our, our message series is titled, Who is This Jesus? And every week, we're going to take uh, two characteristics of Jesus and talk about those, show examples of those through scripture, and then see how we might model our life after him as well. Now, what's interesting as I was putting this series together is that um, most of these characteristics are opposite of each other. He's this and he's this. And we're going to talk about 
how Jesus is really all things to all people, is what he is. And so um, today we're going to start with two different characteristics of Christ. Uh, but first let me pray, and then I'll give them to you, and you can fill those in on your handout. So Lord, we thank you for every single person who is here. And Lord, we also thank you for your word, because you show us who Jesus is, and show us his character through stories, uh, through, through recordings of what he taught and what he did. And we don't have to be like many of those people in the video who are confused because it's all written down for us to know and understand. So Father, I pray that through this series and also through today, that you would open up our hearts to better understand who Jesus was so that we could better follow him and model our lives after him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh, and before I forget, um, we have bracelets for you for Christmas. You can grab one of these, or what would Jesus do bracelets? Um, as a reminder of who Jesus was. That's the idea through the next um, three or four weeks or so. I'd encourage you to grab one of those on your way out, wear it, and as a reminder, think about the characteristics that we taught you know, that Sunday, each Sunday, and then how to model your life after Jesus. So, First of all, two characteristics of Christ. First of all, Jesus is just. He is just. Do we have any justice people here in the room? Like you just, justice really matters to you? Okay, there's like three of us, all right, in this room. <laughs> Last service, there were quite a few more. What I mean by justice, like we, in our family, we had some kids who justice is like a big characteristic within them. So if they saw something that was unfair, even if it didn't affect them, it drove them crazy. We'd be passing out, you know, like candy, and this person would get three, this kid would get three, this, and then this one would only get two, or they'd get five. And this child who had three just couldn't handle it. Whether they had too much or too little, it just wasn't fair. just wasn't fair. And so when you see the injustices in this world, it can drive you crazy. That's kind of how I am. I've, I've learned a little bit of grace, but I, I have a lot of this justice within me. Well, justice was important to Jesus as well. He often called out the injustices around him. Now, an interesting note he didn't necessarily call out the injustice in the government around him, like many of us have been doing lately, right? I mean, we look at the government. Jesus kind of avoided that. Now, he could have. He could have had his whole, his whole teaching and speaking career based around the injustice of the Roman rule. I mean, if we think things are bad in our country or around the world, they were terrible to the Jewish people. The Romans, the Romans would persecute the Jewish people. They would beat them. They would arrest them. They would murder them. And it was just all part of the Roman rule. Now, Jesus didn't speak about the injustice of it. He actually taught a little bit different. What Jesus taught was that we were supposed to turn the other cheek. So the Romans, if they hit you, Jesus said, just turn the other cheek. Let them hit the other cheek. And he also said, to go the extra mile. At that time, the Roman soldiers could walk up to you and throw their pack on you and say, carry that for me for a mile. That was part of the law of Roman rule. And he didn't speak against that. In fact, he said, when someone asks you to carry their pack for a mile, carry it too. Go that extra mile. So when, when we think of injustice, many times we think of like government. But that's not what Jesus thought. 
In fact, when Jesus thought about injustice, he called out the injustice within the church. That's where he went. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders were Pharisees, Sadducees, and teachers of the law. And uh, they ruled the people, the Jewish people, probably more than the Romans did. Because they would rule them through threats and, and intimidation and fear. But the religious leaders were not just. They were hypocrites. And they didn't practice what they preached. And this drove Jesus nuts. <laughs> I mean, I'll just tell you. He called it out so many times in Scripture. So today we're going we're gonna to look at one of those instances in Mark chapter 7. You can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. Um, yeah, starting with verse 1. In this case, the, the Pharisees are, are actually calling Jesus and his disciples out because they didn't do a ceremonious, ceremoniously, ceremonial, ceremonial. <laughs> they didn't wash their hands, all right? So they didn't wash their hands before they ate. And, uh, and he's calling them out, and, and Jesus is just like, oh, you're going to call me out on this. Let me tell you what you're doing. That's what Jesus does in this. So chapter 7 of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so the second book of the New Testament. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial, that's the word, ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other, other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what, that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have, that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So for us to really understand this, we need to understand this practice of korban. Here's the definition of it. It is a Hebrew loan word referring to something that has been set aside as a gift to be given to God at some later date, but which is still in the possession of the owner. So back then, they had this, this tradition where if you wanted to give a gift to God at some point in time in the future, you could kind of get the honor for it now, like, okay, I'm going to dedicate this, this field to the church um, one day. So it's like I'm giving it ahead of time. Or they might have even said, I'm going to give all of my future earnings to God. You know, and they're like, but they're kind of getting the honor for it now. They're saying, this is what I will do in the future. And so they can do that. 
And then later on, if that person who kind of dedicated those resources to God, if their parents ended up being in need, like they became sick, they weren't able to to work anymore, and they were in need, the person who had dedicated those gifts one day to God, they weren't allowed to use those resources to help their parents. So the religious leaders would say, no, you, you gave that to God. You dedicated that to God. You cannot use that to help. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to them, but you can't help them. Well, in the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments was to honor your father and mother, which is more than just like giving them honor and respect. It's really taking care of them in their old age as well. It's helping them, caring for them. And so Jesus is calling them out and he's saying, this isn't right. You're, you're telling this person he can't even help his own parents because of your tradition. You're telling him to break one of the Ten Commandments, and it just wasn't just. The other thing about this is that Jesus knew the religious leaders' hearts, so he could see into the reason for their rules and the reason for their actions, and they were greedy. No, it wasn't about keeping this person's word. It was about the fact that the religious leaders had already counted on that gift. They had already counted on those resources. And so it was out of greed that they would hold this poor person uh, to uh, something they had dedicated to God, even while they watched their parents suffer. Jesus called this out. He hates injustice. In the book of Acts, Paul was giving a speech to the people in the city of Athens, and he describes the justice of Jesus. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So this, this man whom God appointed to judge the world with justice is Jesus Christ. He will rule us. He will judge us with justice. Now, I've had people ask me, and they said, if God is so just, if if Jesus is so just, why do bad people get away with doing bad things? And the reality is, is that they don't get away with doing bad things. In fact, no one is going to get away with doing bad things. Justice will be served. Now, we may not see justice served in our lifetime. That's just true. There are going to be people who are appearing to get away with doing bad things on this planet. But one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that what? Jesus is Lord. And on that day, justice will be served. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Another version says every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. There will be justice at the end of the age. Justice will be served. Jesus is just, and he will judge justly. But I'm so thankful that God is not only just, 
but that he is our second characteristic, which is merciful. Jesus is merciful. If he wasn't, and if Jesus wasn't merciful, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. Can I get an amen on that? Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Isaiah 53.6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is a sinner. We have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. How many sins do you think it takes to keep us out of heaven? Just one. And I've had at least three. Well, I was three before first service. It's probably up to five now. So far today, right? I mean, I need his mercy. We need his mercy. What? So what is mercy? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So it's not giving someone the punishment that they deserve. That's what mercy is. Our, our Lord Jesus Christ is merciful. I'm so grateful for that. Because he, it is within his power to punish us. He is all-powerful. But he tends to show us mercy. He tends to show me mercy. In John chapter 8, I'm going to read a story of a woman caught in adultery. Many of you have heard this story before. Um, but I want to read it from the, the, the lens of mercy and just watch what Jesus does as he extends mercy to this lady. So John chapter 8, starting with verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, talking about Jesus, where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So I want to just stop there for a minute. Because, again, these are the religious leaders. They don't care about this woman at all. They just are excited about having an example where they can drag this woman in and force Jesus to make a determination. Is he going to follow the law and stone her and he's going to throw the first stone? Or is he going to ignore the law and then be a lawbreaker? They thought they had him. He's either going to have a bad reputation or he was going to be seen as a false teacher, one of the two. So Jesus, I mean, this happened again and again. So here's what Jesus does. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. By the way, just stop there. The first thing Jesus did was nothing. The next time you are accused of something, do nothing. The next time you are put to the test, you know, the pressure is put on you to make a quick decision, just pause. Do nothing. Jesus gives a great example of that. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away at a time, one at a time. 
The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So Jesus extended mercy to this woman. She deserved death. The, the Old Testament Mosaic law required someone who was caught in adultery to be stoned to death. And Jesus answers their accusations by saying, if you're without sin, because we all deserve death, that's basically what he's saying. If you're without sin, you throw the first stone. And they walked away. The older ones first. I want the young people to recognize that. It was the older ones with the wisdom that left first, just so you know. And the young people followed the example. Am I seeing this? I'm getting some head nods from our younger people here. <laughs> but they left because they understood that we were all sinners. Now, Jesus was without sin. So even after everybody left, Jesus had the right and the authority to throw the first stone. He could have been just in that circumstance, but instead he chose to extend mercy because Jesus is merciful. He's just, but he is merciful as well. He understood that if he extended mercy to her, he also gave her a command, now go leave your life of sin. I'm guessing, it's not recorded in scripture, but I'm guessing she became a follower of Jesus and left her life of sin because he gave her back her life. So Jesus was merciful. Let me give you an, another example of where Jesus extended mercy. Um, when Jesus was predicting that he was going to die and that all of the disciples were going to scatter and they were going to leave him, uh, the apostle Peter said, there's no way, I'm not going to leave you. And he said, no, really, Peter, tonight, this is on the night of his death, he says, tonight, you're going to deny that you even know me. Three times. Not just once, not twice, three times. And Peter said, there's no way that could happen. Jesus, I would die with you. That was the statement that Peter made. Well, that night, as many of you know the story, um, he's, Jesus is arrested, he's beaten, Peter's kind of hiding out in the shadows, and someone starts asking him, Are you, aren't you one of his disciples? And out of fear, what's Peter do? He, he denies that he even knows who Jesus is. And they ask him a second time, and then even a third time. And on the third time, he calls down curses on himself and says, I don't know what he said, but he said something like that. And he's just like, I don't even know the man. And as soon as he said that, the rooster crowed, because Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter was struck to the heart because he realized he had failed Jesus. He had sworn allegiance to him. He was like, there's no way I would deny you. And yet when the pressure came, when the opportunity came, he was ruled by fear and he denied that he even knew who Jesus was. So much so, the shame and this self-condemnation drove him to leave Jerusalem, to go out to the Sea of Galilee and to, to leave ministry altogether. He was just like, I'm just done. I'm, I'm nobody. I'm no good. And he goes fishing again, which is what he used to do before he was a disciple. And Jesus rises from the dead, and he, he goes out and finds Peter fishing, calls him in to have, have a meal, and uh, in that section of scripture, it's known as the reinstatement of Peter. But he essentially is saying, Peter, if you love me, 
then you'll go back and do ministry. And he has to say it three times to him. And he says it three times, I think, because of the three denials that Peter had. He says, if you love me, you'll go back. You'll do ministry again. You'll love my people. And Peter does. Peter does. Now, what did Peter deserve in that moment? He deserved to be kicked out of the ministry, right? I mean, he denied that he knew Jesus. He didn't deserve to be put back into a position of leadership. I mean, maybe you could come in and, and, and do some of the menial tasks, but I don't know if you could ever become what you were. But in God's mercy, he completely forgave Peter and completely restored him and said, on this rock, your name will be Peter, which means rock. On this rock, I will build my church. And he did. Peter became the leader of the New Testament church. It's because Jesus wants to extend mercy to each one of us. He is just, but he wants to extend mercy to every one of us. Now, for me, being a justice person, I'm glad that Jesus is just. But being a sinner, I'm actually a lot more happy <laughs> that Jesus is merciful. Because I need it every day. Paul, who became an apostle of Jesus and wrote much of the New Testament, he understood this too. He didn't have it all figured out. He relied on the mercy of Jesus, just like we need to. And he says in Romans chapter 7, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Verse 25 says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Some of us might have grown up in a church where they just talked about the justice of God. And it may be hard for you to receive mercy. Excuse me, hard for you to extend mercy to yourself. But just know that God is both just, but he is also merciful. And he wants to extend mercy to each and every one of us. So those are the two characteristics for today, just and merciful. Jesus is just and he is merciful. And as we leave here today, let's remember that Jesus is just. And we need to call out injustices and, and right wrongs. But we also need to extend mercy and also be willing to receive mercy for ourselves. Now, I want to talk about the two outreaches we mentioned in our announcements today because they are opportunities for us to right some wrongs in our society. So the Sleep in Heavenly Peace uh, outreach, I've done this one before, and it was an eye-opener for me because what what they do is they, they build beds and install, assemble beds in homes for children. That's what it's all about. It's, it's 
mostly, I don't know if it's only for children, but it's mostly for children. I think it's all for children. And, uh, and so anyway, so I went to my first outreach like this, and we, we carried these bunk beds through a living room that, had, that looked normal. It had like a Christmas tree, had a couch. You know, it just kind of looked like a normal house. And it was right around the corner here from the church. And so we carried these uh, parts upstairs into a room, and it had a hardwood floor. It was a bedroom, and there was a blanket, a small blanket in the corner, and there were two boys that slept in that room. I think one was nine and one was 11. And I'm just looking around for a pillow. I'm looking around for a mattress for any, and there was nothing. They slept on the floor in that room. That's an injustice in our society that we are sleeping on beds. I would venture to guess most of us in this room, if not all of us, slept in a bed last night. But we have kids, children, our neighbors right around here who are sleeping maybe on a couch, maybe on a carpeted floor, but these kids were on a hardwood floor. And that's an injustice in our society. And we can correct that by being volunteers. And, and side note, we, we talked about this outreach a few weeks ago. Um, this is a busy season for us from a Christmas series and planning, and, and we didn't have a Saturday available. We couldn't make it happen and uh, they said, can you please just make this happen? Because there's going to be kids sleeping on the floor during Christmas if we don't get more people to go and assemble these beds. And so we have an opportunity to correct this injustice and extend compassion and mercy. Now, you may be thinking, well, the parents should be taking care of that. And yes, they should. In many cases, they should. But it's not the kids' fault, right? It's not their fault. Now, sometimes the parents don't have the funds to make this happen. But it's not the kids' fault. So we can extend mercy to this family and just have compassion on these kids and take care of an injustice. So I would encourage you, if you have Wednesday open, uh, sign up for this outreach and, and help us deliver these beds. And then the second thing is this mission trip to Costa Rica. You may not realize it, but it is very unjust for us to have the kinds of funds and opportunities that we have in this country compared to the rest of the world. I mean, we are rich. I mean, I've, I've said that before, but if you have a job, then you're richer than 90% of the world's population. Isn't that terrible to think about? Because you may be thinking, I'm not making very much money. No, you have more money, more availability to make money than 90% of the world's population. And so mission trips are opportunities for us to go to another country and be a blessing to them. We actually get to go and buy groceries and give them away. We get to buy paint and paint brushes and paint buildings. We get to buy two-by-fours and install those. We get to go into, into schools and do children's programs and give away balloons and little toys and stuff like that because we have the funds to do that. We can do that. That's not as readily available in these other countries. So mission trips are opportunities for us to go and to be a blessing to some kids, to a church family that wouldn't otherwise have that opportunity. So again, it's an opportunity to correct some injustices in our world. So I would encourage you, if you've never been on a mission trip, I encourage every Christian to go on at least one international mission trip, everyone. So if you've never been on one, this is about as easy of an international mission trip as you can go on, <laughs> just so you know. Um, it's, 
as far as mission trips go, it's the safest one. They're never safe, but it's the safest of all the trips that we have offered. So I would encourage you to stop by uh, after church, go to the Beacon and get more information about this trip. Um, and if you've only been coming to the church for a couple weeks, you can still go on this trip. You don't have to like pay your dues and you know be part of the church for six years before you can go on a mission trip here. So let's extend justice. Let's correct the injustices in our world. Let's call them out. And boy, let's be merciful. Let's be merciful. I'm going to invite Rose to come up here. She's going to help us uh, in our closing prayer. If you guys would all stand. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.